Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Bebe. Hey, hi, hey, Jason. How are you? Wonderful. Good, How good? are you? I'm good. I'm excited about today's show. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Nations around the world are beginning to ditch the dollar. Ouch. France, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Cambodia, South Sudan, China, Russia, Argentina, Malaysia have already begun different and unique approaches to transacting in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, has even proposed conducting transactions in a new currency. Mm. See if that materializes. Mm. We break down the breakdown of King Dollar. Smart. Is this the end of the greenback or will the dollar be back? Oh. What do you think, baby? Well, it's not going to be the end. The dollars will be around for a long, long time. I mean, yeah. it sounds pretty dramatic because it has been mm. this way for decades. But as we mm -hmm. know, like no major currencies lasted forever as the dominant yeah. currency. It's just like mm. the natural way of things. And um, mm -hmm. we've been hearing a lot of news about de-dollarization. But also before mm -hmm. we get really into it, I, I want to um, give our listeners a, a sense of the scale. It's not like, you mm -hmm. know, dollar will be out of the picture. <laughs> like History, in, history time. <laughs> like in a month or two. It's just that we're using a little bit less of the dollar compared to before. Mm -hmm. I just looked up numbers on the SWIFT system regarding the most used currency. And well, you know what's interesting? Before you get into SWIFT, what's mm -hmm. interesting is people are dumping SWIFT. So right. the, well, I was, had this discussion earlier today and because SWIFT is being dumped, a lot of people are saying, but SWIFT, but actually because SWIFT is actually being used less, some of the data that they have been, have been tabulating is mm -hmm. not an accurate representation right. of how much the dollar is actually been de-dollarized. But still, I just want to give our listeners a sense of like how much dollar is being used and how much like the renminbi or the Chinese currencies is, is being used. For example, in January of 2023, US dollars was still the most used currency by far, like 45.4%. Mm -hmm. And then next to that is euro, the euro, which takes 33.34%. And then it goes down to the third place, which is the pound. And that's only 4.46%. And mm -hmm. Chinese currency, the RMB, renminbi, is way down at the eighth place. Like it was only 1.33%. So it's not mm -hmm. like, you know, in a few months, the world is uh, changing completely. And the renminbi is on par with the US dollars when it comes to international usage. No, it's just like mm -hmm. shifting of some titanic plates, but not like crashing of mm -hmm. the US dollar. So I don't want people to panic. Well, you know, what's interesting is that if you take away SWIFT from the equation and you don't use their data... Mm -hmm. It's that th there has been about 23% drop since uh, from 2000 to 2019 in the use of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And since 2019, there's been an additional 8% drop. Mm -hmm. So SWIFT doesn't account for all international transactions. Not all countries use SWIFT for international but transactions. Speaking of which, So its data is like only kind of a little narrow. Right. Although it is the dominant way that money is still transacted. You were saying. I was saying that uh, if you were being punished by SWIFT, right? Like Russia. <laughs> I mean, yeah. who would want to use it? Everybody would be it thinking. It didn't work, though. But still, like... When they attempted to punish Russia,
Russia. What all that happened was Russia started trading in other currencies, and then like the dollar actually lost preeminence. I know. That was kind of the beginning. Actually, their attempt to use the SWIFT system to punish Russia sort of was a catalyst for this entire trend. Exactly. And also, just I heard that they were thinking about taking the money, like Russian assets in U.S. dollars,、mm-hmm. and giving it、uh-huh. to Ukraine. I'm like, that's right. Can you、They're、imagine? Frozen bank accounts. <laughs> who would be? Who dare to use the dollar? Right? Who dare to use your system if you start doing that? Yeah. Oh my god. I、gosh. was talking to someone about that recently. They were like, "Oh, well, America could just cancel its debts." And I was like, "You have any idea how badly that would affect <laughs> America? U.S. Treasuries would drop to no value at all. They'd be like burning exactly. them. Exactly. Campfire. Speaking. Would, the U.S. wouldn't be able to finance itself. We are going to have so much to talk about today. Oh my gosh. Speaking of which, right? The um. So I, I read the book called The Dollar Trap. Basically, I think、mm-hmm. it was written in the twenty ten.、Uh, And explaining how yes, there is talk of U.S. dollar losing its power, but it's going to take a while. And the reasons for that is, first of all, the dollar is backed by the U.S. government, and people trust、mm-hmm. the U.S. government. Now, I'm、mm-hmm. trying to explain why the dollar has been sliding. It's、yep. not just about the dollar, but the pillars behind that. And the strongest pillar、mm-hmm. is the U.S. government. People are losing trust in you know the way the U.S. government has been conducting things. Another thing is、um, its、uh, value, right? Because U.S. has、mm-hmm. been printing so much money, and now that、yeah. the dollar is not as desirable, its value will be dropping. So, if you were an investor, you pr- probably wouldn't want to bet too much on this currency. And also, another reason why that dollar will not go that fast is because it's、mm-hmm. still necessary. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of countries and transactions are dependent on the dollar, and also、mm-hmm. because it has such a huge market. This is something that's really、um, that the Chinese RMB is falling behind. Like by far,、mm-hmm. because it does not have as big of a market. Like you, if you are a trader and you are trading in, you know, U.S. dollar or U.S. bond, there's like a lot、mm-hmm. of options for you, right? You can buy、yeah. all kinds of products, but that's not the case when it comes to、uh, the Chinese currency. Like you don't, you don't、mm-hmm. have as much to buy, you don't have as much to sell. There's just not many varieties. You're listening to the Bridge. What's really important here is that a lot of people mistakenly think that the Chinese RMB is somehow challenging the dollar,、no. which you point out is not.、Right. But what's interesting is it's not that there is a trend towards moving towards the yuan. That's not it. Right. The yuan is growing in international transactions, but what the trend is away from the dollar towards multipolarity、right. of currency. Because of all the things. The, there that... was a man <laughs> who Goldman Sachs chief economist. His name is Jim O'Neill.、Mm. He coined the term BRICS. It was his idea to shorten it. To bricks,、mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a financial wizard, and he actually coined this new term in the last couple weeks called multipolarity of currency, right, right, or currency multipolarity. Makes、We're, sense. This the trend is not away from the dollar towards the yuan.、Mm-hmm. The trend is towards an international basket of currencies in which to trade. Exactly. I mean, dominance of the U.S. dollar sounds great, right? And it has done wonders <laughs> for the U.S. But with it comes responsibilities too, right? You have so much、mm-hmm. now. The world is. Flooded with dollars, what are going to do with it?、Um, mm. It's hard to control. It's volatile.、Um, so I don't think you know the goal for China is to you know dominate the world with with RMB. That's definitely not it. And I really、mm. like the term that you mentioned, multipolarity when it comes to currency, right? Currency multipolarity. Yeah, and also, yeah. I mean, the future we're looking at is also、uh, multipolar power, right? Yeah. In, instead yeah. of、uh, just one power dominating、mm-hmm. and manipulating other countries. Okay, I'm going to be a little. Bit more friendly. 
<laughs> well, you said you wanted to, you, before we got started, you mentioned you wanted to do a little history lesson. I do, lesson. I do. Could you, could you give us a little background for all of our, me and all of the listeners so that we have a little better idea of how we got here? Right. The reason I wanted to talk about the history of the U.S. dollar is because um, why? Why are people trying to move away from the dollar? What did the dollar do? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to um, 1971. And I'm sure you know about this. That's the year when oh, Nixon yeah. took um, the dollar off the gold standard. So every American knows this. Story. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I guess, your uh, parents uh, generation. So before that, mm-hmm. a dollar, I think it was like one ounce of go- gold was cost like thirty five dollars. Right. And the dollars- what I know is this before Nixon moved it mm. on the U.S. dollar, it said this dollar is good for gold and back to, and it, it said that you could actually transact it for gold mm. that was, you know, held by the U.S. government in for each bill. Yeah. But the reason why they, you know, Nixon took it off the gold standard was because one reason was because the Vietnam War was so costly and Mm. the government needed to print a lot more money. And it was feeling constrained by having the dollar backed by gold because you need the equivalent amount of gold sitting somewhere. Right. So if you you mean you actually need to have value to produce. I know. Instead of what we have now, (laughs) like the money, just paper and now even Mm. not paper, it's just like numbers in in the digital system. So that's something really important. August 15, 1970. Um, mm-hmm. And after that, we have what we call fiat money. Basically, it's just mm-hmm. a piece of paper backed by the reputation of we the U.S. To government. Pay you back. Exactly, yeah. which is eroding <laughs> in is front loan. of our so eyes. Basically, the United States has been running on a loan for the last fifty years. Exactly, and so that's one thing. And the next thing, really important thing that happened was in 1973 in October, uh, the introduction of the petrol dollar. So that's when mm-hmm. the U.S. government, quote unquote, negotiated with Saudi. Arabia to denominate oil sales in U.S. dollars. And this is just one phrase, but it is so significant because mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. all the countries in the world at that time, right, they did not all need U.S. dollars, but they all needed oil. Like, that's a fact. And if you tie the oil to the U.S. dollars, it also meant that mm-hmm. every single country who needed oil would need to have U.S. dollars to buy the oil. That's so right. these are the two biggest things um, besides, you know, uh, world wars and all that in the 19th, like 20th century. And then then basically that was the birth of this huge financial empire that the U.S. has become. Well, I'd like to actually add a little sure. bit to that because you're right. Those are two very critical pillars, but there's a little bit something missing mm. because after all of the independence movements across Africa, South America, and elsewhere where governments around the world were newly formed mm-hmm. out of colonialism from Europe, the United States, and elsewhere, these governments turned to the IMF and World Bank for loans. And mm. those loans came in dollars. Mm-hmm. So those loans, because these the IMF and, and World Bank are located in Washington, D.C., mm. were loaning money to these countries in dollars. So these countries used dollars as part of their currency for international transaction based on their relationship with the IMF and World Bank for their infrastructure development during mm. that time. And so they became basically addicted to the dollar. Exactly. And that was also part of how the dollar gained global dominance. And the British pound 
which was the former international currency mm. of choice, kind of receded into the background. Exactly. So for a long list of reasons, dollar became dominant. Like every country had to have dollar. And the U.S. government just got to print dollars, right? So basically, mm -hmm. uh, after 1973, the U.S. found that, gee, I can just print dollars. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it cost about, what, like 13 cents or 17 cents to manufacture each uh, like $100 bill. So can you imagine how much money they're making just by printing the dollars? <laughs> but, but with all this money newly printed, it's going to lead to inflation inside America, right? Mm -hmm. If you like the government well, just started printing money. Also, mm -hmm. at the same time, developing countries who are holding the dollar, mm -hmm. their money becomes less valuable. If the dollar's so value goes up. So each time the United States prints like, oh, we need to bail out our banks. Here's a trillion dollars. The value of the dollar all over the world decreases. So essentially, the poorest people in the world are paying for the United States opulence. Mm. The wealth that the United States prints for itself comes at the cost of someone living in Sudan, for example. Right. So volatility is one thing. Like everybody is every country is impacted when the U.S. Fed does something. Right. And they don't mm. really want to be affected like that. They want more independence, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to mm -hmm. their uh, national finance. So, OK, going back to what I was saying. So the U.S. found that I could print a lot more money now that I'm not tied to the gold and now that the world Whee! needs a lot of cash. So let's print. But the problem is, if we print all this money, inflation is going to go up and our mm. people are not going to like it. So they, quote unquote, exported the dollars in many ways, of course. They spread the dollars all over the world. For example, you all need the dollar to buy oil. Hey, here are some dollars. I right? buy our stuff. And anyhow, I use our dollars. So this was the way they used to dilute inflation. That's why for, you know, for many, many years, for quite a few decades, I don't think inflation was um, much of an issue most of the time, right? Until uh, now or for periods when, you know, their prices for oil went up. So basically, inflation has not been um, a huge problem for the U.S. until recent years. You're listening to The Bridge. Okay, so and then comes the question of what happens if we don't have enough money in the U.S., right? If all the money went out and then the U.S. was like, oh, you know what? We can issue more bonds to mm -hmm. absorb all this money. When they have too much money out in the market, they can absorb mm -hmm. it back to the U.S. government by issuing bonds. So basically mm -hmm. here is uh, uh, bonds for a million dollars, Jason. Why don't you give me mm -hmm. your a million dollars? I'll give you these bonds because we are the U.S. That government. Sounds great. I know. I can't wait to have <laughs> and I give you interest. You get an interest every six months, right? And you get all oh, of this I back. Do? This, is, this is great. At the end of 25 years or something like that. <laughs> so oh. basically, it was a great time for the U.S. It was printing cash, money, greenbacks, whatever you call it, on one hand, and making just, you know, huge profits from that. And on the other mm. hand, it was issuing bonds. It was all great. Um, So it became more like a financial economy, right? You mm -hmm. remember the time, like in your parents' generation, a lot more people worked in factories, worked in like real economy. Yeah, my grandmother, she did work in a factory. Right. And then That's slowly right. the whole country discovered that, you know what, I can make a lot more money by just doing finance, right? By my mm -hmm. generation, when I graduated from college, mm -hmm. all my classmates went into finance. It was as if mm -hmm. there was nothing else. You know, it was either computer mm -hmm. science or finance because that's what mm -hmm. where the money was. Let the Should other you? countries make the socks or I don't know, suitcases <laughs> or whatever, soccer balls. 
So this is actually the great biggest reason why America became hollowed out. It wasn't、mm. that you know China or Bangladesh or India came over and took over your factories. It's not like that.、Mm. It's because it was just it made more sense economy wise, economics wise, to manufacture these products abroad. And、um, and in the U.S., why don't we just you know make money from money? So that yeah, was the, literally printing money. Exactly. So that、literally. was the hollowing process. So when people, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Another, I mean, I want to kind of pivot a little bit、mm. because you know I grew up in the 1980s and I really came into my consciousness about the global order in the early 1990s,、mm. um, and I noticed that there were these things called sanctions, and the、mm. United States was using them pretty regularly. I was hearing about them、Left、every night、right. on CNN, front and back. Yeah, after the first Gulf War, when the after the United States and its partners invaded Iraq, the United States implemented sanctions、mm. on the people of Iraq and. Statistics show that as many as half a million people died as due to those sanctions, not because of any war,、mm. but between the first Gulf War and the second invasion in 2003.、Mm. The United States sanctions actually cost the lives of half a million people.、Mm. Sanctions are something the United States is now using on more than a dozen countries around the world、right. to get them to essentially behave in a way that the United States wants them to behave, whether that be good or bad.、Mm-hmm. We'd have to examine it on a case by case basis, so we're not going to. But the reality. Is a lot of countries have had enough、exactly. of the United States' threat of sanctions、mm. or sanctions on individuals, that sanctions on poor countries, and so by diversifying to multiple other currencies, the power of the dollar to be used as a tool to do harm potentially is being lessened. Exactly,、uh, that's a very real reason. I mean, who wants to be sanctioned? Like Syria, right? When it's hit、mm. with wars and other natural disasters,、yeah. even at times like that. Uh, U.S. was putting sanctions, or capped sanctions. It doesn't make sense to to most people in the world, I think. And in a way,、mm. that's how the U.S. government has been destroying its own power. We don't like this behavior, and we don't trust this behavior anymore. So,、mm. uh, okay, coming back to、uh, the dollar, I、um, was going to talk about how I can call it the financial colonialism. I don't know、mm-hmm. if you know what I'm going to talk about. I find I knew, it fascinating. Imperialism, neoliberalism,、right. the Washington Consensus. This is a big one. Yeah,、here. and part of it. Is how、uh, the U.S. I guess grabs resources or、uh, reaps the profits like across the world and harvests、mm-hmm. it back in the United States. So basically,、mm-hmm. it starts still at 1971, 1973, as、mm-hmm. we went back,、mm-hmm. and the ten years after that, the U.S. printed a lot of dollars. I mean, the world、mm-hmm. needed it, right? And then because you print a lot, the value of the dollar would go down a little bit, and、mm-hmm. a lot of at that time during those ten years, a lot of the dollars went to Latin America. So you probably、yeah. heard that back in the 1970s, there was it was a pretty good time in Latin America. Like countries like Argentina was、um, almost, I think I remember it was like a wealthy country already. Almost made、mm. it to、uh, the bracket where you can be considered a wealthy country. I didn't know because、that. back in the 70s there was a lot of investment going to Latin America. Print, print, print.、Mm. Let's invest. Where I mean, Latin America they have all these great natural resources, right? And they have labor.、Mm-hmm. It was a great place. So it was a flourishing period. Um, about ten years for Latin America, but then starting in 1980, the U.S. stopped flushing Latin America with all the U.S. dollars. So imagine on the side of Latin America, like things were going well for years. No one thought that this income of dollars would stop. And let's、mm. say you are a business person, you've invested billions or millions in、mm. Latin America, 
And all of a sudden, your source of uh, investment was cut off. Like you could mm -hmm. no longer get new funding. If you are like, yeah. if you're running a bank, for example, you have a lot of loans mm -hmm. out and you need your own sources of funding. And all of a sudden, the US is like, yeah, no more dollars. I'm sorry. So it was, it created this uh, financial crisis in mm -hmm. Latin America. In a way, it was all on purpose, and we'll soon know why, mm. because this was how the U.S. sowed the seed to, you know, grab assets around the world. So on top of the um, financial crisis, usually around this time, U.S. would help to create some sort of local crisis. And the mm. the point, the purpose... That doesn't sound like help. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I could have quote. So yeah. the formula, people are now seeing this very clearly now. The formula is to create... A financial crisis plus some kind of local, like either military or unrest or political unrest. And the goal of this is to attract investment, all the dollars back to the U.S., so in the case of Latin America, I, I don't really understand. Can you give us one concrete example of how this works? I, I don't have like specific companies, but let's say in Latin America, in Argentina. So as I mentioned, imagine the economy was flourishing for 10 years and all of a sudden mm -hmm. your source of capital became dry, right? You can no mm -hmm. longer fund your business. Couldn't you just get your Forex from or FDI from another country? Couldn't you say England, France, America's gone. You can invest francs and euros. Come over here. I think that We've would got lots of resources. That would take some time, right, to build mm. build up these channels, but you got to pay your employees, right? You got to pay mm. your banking loans. Things got to move. And if you can't make your bottom line, you go bankrupt. And so mm. on top of this crisis, remember at that time, I think it was what, around 1980, there was the Falkland Islands War with yeah, Britain. Yeah. That wasn't yes. like an accident, okay? It was like added on top to the financial crisis. And the goal is, imagine you are an investor and you were in Argentina. Wouldn't you want to leave by now if there's a local crisis and there might be a war. And where would I take my billions of dollars? And right at this time, the Fed will increase its interest rates. So you're like, whoa, now I can get like 5% interest rate, 6% interest rate if I just put mm. my money uh, in banks in the US or if I just buy yeah. the US uh, treasury bond. So all this money would flood back to the U.S. So the, like this increasing interest rate, like, like it's been happening now again, it's mm -hmm. no accident. And it's not just well, about controlling believe, yeah, inflation. It yeah, it's right. not just about uh, controlling inflation, but it's not working mm. so well this time. But that time it worked really well in Latin America. Mm. So they hiked interest rate, um, the, all the dollars flooded back to the U.S. And then mm. they go to, let's say, the bond market, the stocks market, the futures market, and um, everything will look great back in the U.S. But poor companies and banks in Latin America, right? A lot of them just went uh, bust. And and banks probably collapsed. Now, that's not the end of it. So when the local businesses in Latin America, when they went bad because they did not have enough capital, um, they were selling for really, really low prices. And mm -hmm. guess guess who went back and bought those? America. America. With all... American investors. Exactly. American investors with their you know pockets packed with all these dollars. They went mm -hmm. back and bought all these assets, basically rock bottom prices. Because no one, like all these emerging markets, Markets. They did not know this was coming. Like people, it was like the first few times that the U.S. played this game. So people mm -hmm. were not aware. 
So basically, you can summarize this as for the emerging markets, you know, they want to develop, they needed capital, they needed money. And then here comes this inflow of uh, cheap U.S. capital, U.S. dollars, lots of capital inflow. It leads to other problems, too, but then it helps uh, local economy uh, to grow. But then all of a sudden, there this inflow stopped and there's a strong outflow due to the reasons I mentioned. And now what are you going to do as an investor, right? Your business will stop functioning. So I guess business go bad. And then a while back. You sell it for pennies on the dollar to American investors. So this is like one time, this one cycle. And the the next cycle, the next cycle was, uh, remember the Asian financial crisis? So that's like 1997. (laughs) Well, this was more painful for Asian countries. So I think they everybody in Asia would know about it. That started in 1986. You, for 10 years, the U.S. dollars flooded the markets in Asia. Remember the Asian tigers? Mm. That's mm-hmm. the, the years when they really, the economies really took off with all this new capital from, from the U.S. And then in 1997, the capital inflow into Asia stopped all of a sudden. Here we go again, a financial crisis. And then remember George Soros, how he broke mm-hmm. the Bank of Thailand? That was added that on anymore. top of that. So 1997 and boom, huge crisis. All the investors, let's get out. And that's when the Fed will hike its interest rate again. So when all the capital mm. were trying to pull out from from Asia and they all went back to the U.S. And here we go again. Bond markets, futures markets, stock markets flooded with money. And then when the business in Asia collapsed, let's go back there and buy them up at rock bottom prices. So it mm. happens about 10 years. The U.S. dollar will go to one part of the world, I guess, help grow the economy. And they, for the next six years is the other side of the cycle when they come back mm. and, you know, wipe up the mess at really cheap prices. You're listening to The Bridge. You mentioned dollar colonialism. Mm. There's another aspect to this also going on mm-hmm. based on how to actually ac- access those markets, because those markets are not as accessible as just investing and not investing. Well, so actually, you have to look at the World Bank and the IMF mm. as part of this when you account for this. So a lot of countries and the ones you're talking about, specifically Thailand, Argentina and others, especially Argentina lately, they're, they're really into, up to their eyeballs in debt with the IMF right mm. now. When the IMF and the World Bank joined together in the 1980s, they actually became one kind of larger entity. And these two became like, you know, married to one another. Mm. They would go into countries and they've done this over and over again. They offer a loan. Oh, you want to build some bridges and some rail? No problem. Here's a loan. Mm. Now, this loan is contingent upon deregulation mm. and allowing liberal investment mm. and uh, and actually taking national assets that are utilities and privatizing them. Right. So, we're going to give you $10 billion loan, but every time we give you another billion dollars, it's called a tranche. And each time we give you a billion dollars, you need to do more of this commitment to neoliberalism, right. which is basically dollar imperialism, as, as you put it. Mm. So here's a billion dollars. Okay, great. Okay, now you need your next billion dollars. We need you to deregulate all of the mines mm. in this part of this region of your country. So as the dollar's flowing in, they're also increasing the amount of dollars allowed in because 
a lot of countries don't just allow infinite amounts of FDI to come in. Right. So, okay, now you have to let as much foreign FDI come in as is possible. Mm. So we want you to allow as much FDI, you know, make a law, pass it, or we won't give you your other billion dollars and you'll owe us for the first. Mm -hmm. So then they keep doing this. And by the time they get all $10 billion, all 10 tranches of the loan to build a few bridges that they wanted at the beginning, mm. everything is deregulated. Everything is uber capitalist, even way beyond the United States form of capitalism. The United States mm. has highly regulated markets. Mm. But in order to qualify for these loans in these countries that we're talking about, the IMF and World Bank would force these countries to liberalize way beyond Western liberalism. Mm. And they would claim the entire time, this is good for you. This is good for you. Right. But essentially, all it was is allowing two things to happen. One, the extraction, extraction of surplus value from the labor markets. Mm. And two, the extraction of raw materials right. from these nations. So as the dollar was flowing in, goods and raw materials and the value of people's income is flowing out as fast as it could. And so you have people, you know, like minimum wages that existed in countries after the 1960s and the 1970s independence movements from colonialism mm. being erased. So minimum wages were being erased so that Western companies and, and other, you know, companies around the world that were also participating can come in and pay people nothing mm. to do work and extract all of that value to investors in Washington and London and France, elsewhere in the world. So it's not just the dollar itself, but it comes with an entire package of allowing the dollar to do the kind of damage that they really wanted to. Basically, this is paving the way for capitalists in Western world to go there. And here is like a completely liberalized, well, not completely, but very much liberalized market. Yeah. Take what you want, mm -hmm. right? They have the capital. Yeah, exactly. And this is another evidence of how we see that, you know, in the U.S. today, it's like the country is not run by the government anymore, right? If the country has mm. been directed like a, what do you call it? Like a puppet, mm. you know, right? By like these uh, capitalists. That's a very challenging thesis to prove. Okay. Well, maybe <laughs> I won't, but I'm saying, you know, all these things point to the direction. And this is why countries across the world are waking mm. up to mm. this. They're seeing this pattern, especially yeah. this pattern by the U.S. And as you said, because of this, um, these manipulation actually you know, forced upon uh, regulations by the World Bank and IMF, a lot of these countries, they can't help it, right? As they're getting yeah. helped, their hands are getting tied. And also exactly. their their rights or certain rights are lost. But one country that escaped from this was China. And that's mm. why back in the Asian crisis, you know, China was okay. Like all the other countries were like, oh my gosh, all this money flooding in. And then all of a sudden, it's like somebody is sucking your blood out, you know, without mm. warning you. And uh, everybody's scrambling to find new funding or just selling, you know, sell their business. But China mm. has even Special today, economic zones. Well, I guess in one way, well, China has in independent way, thinking because it did not well, want I mean, to. It didn't allow. So, okay. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. Mm. I want to outline this also. So China did have these special economic zones, which were special bubbles where they allowed this crazy, you know, Washington <laughs> consensus. That's what it's called. Liberalism to take effect. Mm. But then like the rest of the 99% of the country was insulated from that. And China was very careful only mm. to allow certain levels 
goals of liberalization to happen in the rest of the country. Mm. So China was able to take the best part of FDI and utilize that while also insulating the citizens from these sorts of international economic strategies that were were deployed elsewhere. Right. I mean, China has been more skeptical of capitalism, like pure capitalism, where people could manipulate uh, through trading. Can you imagine like ruining a whole country's economy through trading? I mean, the idea is shocking and it's been done in the world multiple times. So, I mean, China doesn't want to get involved in that. Maybe in a way it will, you know, slow its growth in of its capital markets. But I think we're, we're willing to do that to lessen the risk. You know what I think? I mean, I, I see what you're saying, that they're willing to slow it. But you know what's interesting is that China still is increasing its liberalism, like financial liberalism, mm. a little bit each year. But it's doing it very strategic. Right. It's not allowing certain assets. Certain assets and certain ways of behaving are extremely regulated. So China has been like careful to only allow the kinds of FDI, the kinds of, uh, you know, capitalism, liberalism, Mm. neoliberalism to affect certain markets that they chose. They were like, okay, it probably will work better here in this kind of market. Let's Mm -hmm. use it there. But it's not going to, we're not going to deregulate this market and we're going to keep SOEs and have private corporations. What you were saying was like, you know, when it comes to pure capitalism and the Mm. behavior of uh, capitalists, they're like run Mm -hmm. on hormones. You know, they go, they go after profits wherever there is. They don't consider whatever it is, whatever it is. They don't consider for like long-term plans. They don't consider the health. How much money can I get out of this? Right. And they don't care if uh, they ruin the local economy, right? They just following Mm. their hormones. And then when it comes to China, you know, it functions by using its brain instead. You know, it's very logical and cool. It knows that there are risks involved in in certain behaviors and they try to cool that. Uh, so I think, you know, this this became, as you were talking about it, this is what I was thinking about. And now you can move on. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. It's interesting is while the United States, the IMF and the World Bank have been promoting, you know, uber capitalism, like, you know, laissez faire capitalism, as it were, and neoliberalism in other countries, the United States hasn't promoted it inside of itself. The United States also very similar to China, mm-hmm. highly regulates and protects and insulates certain markets like it's, it's farming, for example, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Right. So actually, United, the United States is thinking, too, but what they are willing to do is sacrifice some other country for them for the wealth of their for the United States. Right. So it's not that the United States is also protecting itself from free market capitalism. The Mm. United States does not have super laissez faire Washington consensus deregulated economy. It just wants it for some other third world developing country where it's easy for the United States businesses to enter into and take advantage of their economy. But this is not actually why we're here today. We're here to talk about the trend in uh, de-dollarization. Right. So, so I have this article. We spent 40 minutes explaining why uh, yeah. countries are <laughs> yes, running yes, away yes. from the dollar right. because all why these is this happening? impact yes. it has had on the world. Yeah. No, mm. go ahead. So th- <laughs> okay. This just came out very recently. April 26th from Reuters. Yuan overtakes dollar to become most used currency in China's cross-border transactions. Right. Now, I, I the last posted part is this very article. important. In China's yeah. cross-border transactions. In China's. Not so a lot world. of people were like, that's, that's not true. The U.S. is still number one in the world. Yeah, you didn't read the heading very carefully, did you? (laughs) It's in China's cross-border transaction. The yuan has become the dominant currency. That means 
in terms of China investing in other countries, other countries investing in China or buying products from China or China buying products from other countries, the yuan, the Chinese yuan, the RMB, has now just tipped past 50% and more transactions are taking place between nations that are transacting with China than any other currency, I mean, which is I feel remarkable. Like this is the way it should be, right? You know, if China yeah. is trading, let's say, with Brazil, why would they mm -hmm. use the dollar, right? Yeah, I mean, right, for every exactly. for every dollar you use, you're tied to the U.S. government and uh, you're paying something. <laughs> and it, especially, you know, if you invest your money in the bond. But let's not get carried away. Let's get back. So, yes. Can I can I say something that frustrates me? Sure. And this is not just by the author of this article. I think this is a, a uh, systemic issue. Hmm. So the author of this article and some other respected uh, authors who I, I really very much like, I actually talked to them, mm -hmm. uh, also make this uh, reflection. They say, this is a quote from the article, efforts by Beijing to internationalize the use of the yuan. I think this gets a little bit misleading because mm -hmm. it's there's this trend to say that China is trying to move away from the dollar. But that's not true. While China is moving away from the dollar, this is a global phenomenon that is not mm -hmm. being led by China, but it was being led by varied, interested nations all over the world. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Bengal and India about a week ago mm. made a deal where they're going to start trading in local currencies, in both of their currencies for various goods. So they're going mm. to start ditching the dollar. They're going to start trading when they trade with the each other. These This mm. bilateral relationship, India and Bengal, they're going to start trading in rupees, for example. So they're not going to be using US dollars for their international transactions. Mm. So I think it's a little misleading sometimes for people to point to China and say, this is China's doing. And I think a lot of people want to and they want to see China as this hero that is moving us away from the dollar. But I think that that has its own challenges and that right. is not a healthy way to look at it because China is not trying to overthrow the dollar. China is simply trying to create a fair, multipolar international architecture for currency transactions that doesn't give any one currency excess value. But many other countries are also doing this at the same time. Right. I mean, um, like China does not want the U.S. dollar to crash. I think China still has yeah, yeah, how, how much money does China have like when it comes to U.S. Treasury bond? 800 like, billion. 800 billion. I mean, it's a little yeah, less uh, than roughly. before, but still, like if the U.S. dollar crashes, like it means the value of all this holding will also yeah. crash. So it's not like yeah. China wants that to happen. I think we just want to move away, not just China, but other countries. They don't want to be there, you know, have their hands tied by the dollar. Mm. I mean, the mm. countries you mentioned, it makes total sense if they could do uh, make deals in their local currency. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Yeah, Russia's right? trading in its own currency. India is beginning to trade. Argentina, uh, Saudi Arabia is. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier the petrodollar. Right. And that's really interesting because in the last couple of years, I think it was last year, actually, Saudi Arabia was like, OK, we'll trade in yuan. OK, we'll trade in, you know, euros. Mm -hmm. And so actually the petrodollar, one of the two pillars that you pointed out from the early 1970s, mm -hmm. which gave the dollar so much clout internationally, is that pillar has been removed. Now, yeah. most current most countries are buying petroleum from Saudi Arabia in U.S. dollars, but it can now be done in other currencies also. The dollar is still the big, you know, the big kid on the block, but there are right. other kids on the block, too, now. And then another reason why, um, like, other countries don't want to be so dependent on the dollar is because uh, because of the financial system in the U.S. It's, it's volatile, mm. right, as mm. is evident nowadays. Every few mm. every few years, there is talks of a recession and sometimes something mm. even worse than that. And the value 
of... This is healthy for everybody. I'm sorry? This is healthy or it's, not? Uh, it's very healthy because let's say if we have 204 countries in the world mm. and one of those economy collapses, but we all use their currency, that hurts everybody. Exactly. But if there's an international network of currencies being used everywhere and one economy collapses temporarily for a couple of years, mm. that's not going to hurt everyone as bad because we're not all dependent upon their currency. Right. Like a lot of countries, they feel like we have to have a lot of dollars because in case the U.S. markets gets really volatile and let's say people started pulling all the dollars out, we would have enough reserve. That's why we have, you know, foreign reserves, right? We use foreign mm -hmm. reserves to buy products from other countries and also to balance these volatility from financial cycles because these financial cycles are going to be there. I mean, we see in the news every day now, another bank is about to go bust in the U.S. I mean, this is no like surprise. It happens every um like every few years um so but other countries don't want to be influenced by all this shocking movements in the u.s market so if they can have more independence when it comes to their own uh, financial system it's a good thing right i mean the u.s you know, wouldn't be happy i mean that, that also brings up a really good point that where we started where you started when you were informing us as to how this you know why it's important to de-dollarize a little bit at least mm. is that the svp was not backed for most of its holdings so this bank that collapsed, this huge one, a couple of months ago, mm. um, they the U.S. only guarantees deposits up to ninety thousand dollars, but most the average transactions are sorry the average deposits in that bank were between four and five million dollars. Mm -hmm. So the United States made all of those investors whole, which a lot of people praised. But you also have to think the U.S. printed that money. Where did that money so come from? All of from? those people right. that were made whole that was from just making up new dollars. Mm. So all of the 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 investors in that bank were made whole by money that comes from the depreciation of the value of the dollar internationally. So right. people in like South Africa, people in, you know, Mali, they're paying for those people to be made whole because the value of the dollar is now slightly less than it was. Mm, and if it keeps going, right, because uh, things are not looking up in the U.S. economy. I mean, I feel bad for leaders of the U.S. government and also in the Fed. This is not the greatest mm. time in their career. They have a lot of problems they have to deal with. And but honestly, a lot of these problems were made by themselves, you know, years ago, mm. decades ago, flooding the market, not just in the US, but like around the world with so much money. It doesn't even make sense. Like, I think there are numbers where uh, it says like in the past few years, ever since the pandemic, like more money has been printed than the past, what, 100 years, something like that. It was like a crazy amount. Wow. I don't have the exact numbers. I probably should have, but not right here. But it's just well, a, cra we've got it's a, a crazy amount. You can't know everything. <laughs> right. But, you know, in the past, the rest of the world were willing to absorb all this money because they all needed dollars. And uh, they thought yeah. uh, having U.S. Treasury bond was a, you know, a good investment. But things are changing now. People don't feel like it's such a good investment anymore. You know, what if the U.S. government doesn't can't pay its bills anymore? We're looking yeah. like the uh, the cap. We are reaching the cap of um, uh, the national debt again. Right. In the U.S. What's going to happen? So like that's well, why I think, countries are I think it's pretty adopting. obvious that they're they will raise the the cap, the cap again, again, which is what they keep doing. Yeah, because but... they, they can't balance their budget without. I mean, what they really should do, in my my opinion, and this is just my opinion, is cut the military budget in half and ba balance the budget. You're listening to the bridge. 
So this is written by Dr. Gal Luft, and he is the co-author of De-Dollarization, The Revolt Against the Dollar, and The Rise of a New Financial World Order, mm. wherein he and his co-author basically termed this the idea of de-dollarization in 2019 with the publication of this book. Mm. He wrote an article in China Daily April 24th, very recently, mm. in which he starts he talks about you know what you mentioned at the beginning, essentially, the different currencies rise and fall, and that the, the fall of the US dollar was inevitable. It wasn't like, okay, now the United States dollar is, you know, the international fiat currency that everyone uses. This was going to stay forever. Mm -hmm. If history teaches us anything, it's that things change. Mm -hmm. And so the the fact that there is a rallying cry for de-dollarization is something to be expected. You know, Brazil is moving away from the the US dollar. And that's that's been it's uh, the president, Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva, is calling on basically de dollarizing most mm-hmm. Brazilian international transactions. Mm-hmm. So it's again, we're talking about this is not just China. This is Saudi Arabia. This is even France. Mm. So it's that's a G7 member. That is one of the United States closest allies. It's not Hear like France the shock is not in Jason's voice. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I want to emphasize that this is not something meant to undermine the United States every time. France, it's about they're one of the closest survival. allies of the United States. Right. It's I want to make a deeper point, actually. France is not going to decouple its military uh, strategy from the United States anytime soon, so far as we can tell. France is still very much in the United States, you know, uh, zone lineup of alliances. Mm. But it is necessary for countries to start looking out for their own interests, their exactly. national interests. And so part of that is saying, yeah, the dollar is a little suspect and it's a little bit dangerous to be reliant, overly reliant on that. Mm-hmm. So when French President Emmanuel Macron says Europe should begin reducing its reliance on the U.S. dollar. That is not to say that France is like decoupling or like saying, screw you, America. (laughs) All it's saying is that this one aspect of our relationship or France's relationship with the U.S., the dollar, it needs to be a little less. There needs to be less dependency between these two, Mm -hmm. these two nations. Right. I think it's perfectly understandable, but I think it's like shocking to the U.S. I mean, U.S. is Mm -hmm. getting used Mm -hmm. to a lot of new things right now. And also, uh, mm. in this article, we mentioned that the earliest paper currency was actually, you know, invented in China back in the Song Dynasty. That's of like course over... it was. <laughs> China invented everything. <laughs> That's uh, not the not the hamburger, but there are things close because, to that. You invented paper, right? Of course you paper did. Because and, you invented paper. And gunpowder. Yeah. But, you know, look what we did with Uh-oh. the gunpowder. We Could made you undo it in... that gunpowder one? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. But we made it into fireworks. You know, we didn't yeah, make it yeah. into like cannons and stuff like that. So over a thousand years ago, there's uh, this uh, paper money called jiaozi. It's not dumplings, so mm. they, they sound pretty much the same. It sounds delicious. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the, the one thing I want to mention is that all the cycles we see in modern economies, uh, you know, the printing of the money and inflation mm. and the collapse of the currency, China has seen this again and again and again. Oh, you throughout. guys are the original collapsing currency? <laughs> it, it's a natural pattern, you know, uh, for all, of, including Song Dynasty you know, other dynasties, it, it's once you can print money, like nobody yep. can control themselves. You know what I mean? Look at all those beautiful clothes you guys bought with all that printed money, though. Right. I, why don't we just print more? I want to enlarge my <laughs> empire. Why don't I print money to, you know, fund my uh, invasion of other places? It sounds like, um, mm. you know, just a proposal from my perspective. So mm. all these dynasties, as emperors and kings, um, they all fell into this trap. They couldn't stop mm. printing money at the end.
land. And that always it's, led to the great collapse of it's the like empire. It's like a treasury full of infinite amount of gold until everyone has so much gold that they no longer want it. Exactly. And the, and the gold becomes just like, you know, anything, I, I don't know, cheese. <laughs> My kid's shoes are made out of gold. Yeah. What are you talking about? So what I'm saying <laughs> is China has seen this so many times. It doesn't want this to happen again. And that's why, you know, when it comes to financial prudence, you know, China has all these history in its mind. It doesn't want to go through that. And another point I want to mention is um, mm-hmm. you talked about Bank of uh, World Bank and the IMF. Mm-hmm. Now, if mm-hmm. the countries don't want to rely on these organizations, uh, which has all these strings attached when he says he wants mm-hmm. to help you, you know, yeah. where can they turn to? And I think that's a good place for the Belt and Road Initiative to come in, right? Like, you know, it's not like China wants to take away business for these organizations. I mean, I agree. I am a big fan of the Belt and Road. I've heard, I think you won't find a bigger fan of the Belt and Road in the world than me. <laughs> but I do want to mention that most of the loans or the grants that have been given by China to Belt and Road members in the, you know, the greater finance operations that China is a part of are mm. oftentimes in dollars. Mm. Well, that might change in the future, I suppose. Yeah. Right? Can I mention something a little bit different real Please? quick? Please. Yes. And this one kind of surprised me. And I actually, I'd never thought about this angle before. Mm. So I was looking up about de-dollarization and there was an article by Prakash Jia in the Mare Times, which is Cambodia. Mm. And actually, they're also trying to de-dollarize, but in a totally different way than other economies. Okay. When we're talking about de-dollarization in other cases, we're talking about international transactions. But Cambodia actually has been using the US dollar in place of its own currency for local transactions, like at the shop down the street. Really? And so they're attempting to de-dollarize right now also, but their de-dollarization is trying to move the use of the real, the R-I-E-L, real, the Cambodian currency. So lately, the the government has been saying, you need, in certain instances, you must use our national currency Mm. as opposed to using the U.S. dollar. So Mm. while, you know, other countries around the world, including France and Saudi Arabia, are de-dollarizing for international transactions, Mm -hmm. Cambodia is attempting to de-dollarize their internal economy for transactions at the local shop. So if you go visit, like, you know, go for a trip in Cambodia, uh, you can still just bring dollars and you don't even have to go to the bank to exchange it. I mean, for now. For for now. now. Yeah. Um, And also, I want to come back to the fact that um, according to historical trends, and as we mentioned in the beginning, all major Mm. dominant currencies, you know, when bust at the end, it's just natural Mm. occurrence. Some take Mm. longer, some take shorter. And in this article we mentioned from China Daily, in the thousand Mm. years, since the Song Dynasty changed the history of money with uh, the introduction of jiaozi or paper money, no fewer mm-hmm. than six reserve currencies, each belonging to a superpower of the time. You know, you can think of uh, the Dutch, right? England and, mm-hmm. um, of course, uh, the United States. They have ruled the markets. Each dominated the global market for about 80 to 100 years. And the mm-hmm. tumbling of a currency accelerated the decline of the empire behind it. They sort of go together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it all take time. It's not going to happen like in a day or two. And the dollar has been a global reserve currency for the past 80 years. So if history, Mm -hmm. the article says, if the history is is our guide, we are due for a rerun. Now, it might sound a bit scary for Americans, but think of like the the pound, right? It's still there. And in fact, Mm -hmm. it's still much more. Good point. I was going to make that point too. Yeah, it's it's used more than RMB in international transactions, Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. on the SWIFT system. Chinese... uh, 
RMB is only the eighth uh, on the SWIFT system. Yeah. So the US dollar will be there. It's just it won't be everywhere or it won't be for, uh, you know, trading oil or other commodities like some maybe at some places it's, it's not required as much. So, mm. yeah, um, don't ditch your dollar. <laughs> They will still be useful, still make more nice. dollars. Way to bring it back to the to the intro. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you completely. I also don't think I think a lot of people are like, oh, no, but the dollar is still, you know, the number one. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not arguing. I don't think anyone's arguing the dollar isn't but- the dominant international trade currency. And no one's. I don't think anyone rational is arguing that in the next few years, it's still it's it's not going to be. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is going the U.S. dollar is likely to maintain its international position as as the number one dominant currency for the you know for for the foreseeable future mm. but it is beginning to lessen it is beginning to dissipate its power or- and king dollar can no longer just sanction countries because a country can just say oh you don't want to trade with me that's fine i'll just trade with these other <laughs> 20 countries that don't use dollars leaving, it's not a problem like it was leaving the u.s the government 90s. huffing and puffing like oh you don't listen to me anymore oh you just you don't want to be my <laughs> friend you're going to be their friend now How oh dare you? yeah so <laughs> But the thing I thought it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I want to mention this term again: uh, currency sure. multipolarity, because mm-hmm, yeah. you know that's that's the future we're looking at. And I Probably, want to mention yeah. this is a like concept that's very different between um, the Western and Chinese mind. Like in in mm-hmm. Chinese minds, the idea of having multiple like multipolar world or mul- mm-hmm. currency multipolarity that sounds normal mm-hmm. because there are over yeah. two hundred countries around the world. There are what yeah. eighty billion people around the world, it's normal to have a billion. It's normal to have a few peaks, right? A few centers of attention, of power. And it's just like a family having, you know, several siblings. It does not mean that one person has to take it all. We can share, guys. Hey, boys. Hey, girls. Have you heard about the proposal of a BRICS currency? Yeah, I heard about it. Um... Yeah, I heard about it too. It's that actually they want to create a new currency for Mm. international trade between BRICS members. And I'd never even thought of that. Like, instead of using a particular nation's currency, mm-hmm. having a an international currency that's produced for the specific, you know, just for transactions between mm-hmm. nations. It blew my mind. That's even possible. I don't well, I don't know if it's ever going to actually come to fruition or it's going to come in that way. But it's such an interesting idea. I want to say congratulations, Jason. You know, in the past few years, I've jumped out of so many boxes. It's liberating. You know, you don't know. <laughs> that you've been in a box until one day you realize that you can, wow, you know, I, I can break this box, you know, thinking that the world yeah. is, um, you know, it's got to have a World Bank. It's got to have an IMF. Maybe someday in the future, these organizations will not exist or they will be transformed. By some mechanism we haven't even imagined. That's yet. more suitable to our current needs. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, or the dollar. Everybody, like 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you think that the dollar is going to decline someday, nobody will believe you. But now, no, right. you know, instead of saying decline, I think another way of putting it is that the dollar has become less attractive in the eyes of mm. uh, nations around the world for multiple reasons, right? If you keep mm. sanctioning people for holding your currency, they will think of other ways to do their business. Well, Bebe, you're clearly the expert on this I topic. I am no of expert. The two of just... us. Oh, no, I mean, I, I know you, you're, you're always self-effacing and you, you're modest. But uh, last thoughts before we close the show. Last thoughts? You can have it. It's okay. 
<laughs> oh, I was le- I was leaning on your expertise. Well, here. I said, no, I, think, I, I think will, it's a, go ahead. Then I'll repeat okay. currency multipolarity and also um, multi- what's the word they use? Multipolarism. Is that such a word for world power? Instead of having uh, just one dominant power, we have multiple powers, right? Each mm, is, yeah. and coexisting. Uh, I think that's I think the it's also the word multipolarity. Is multipolarity. Exactly. You know, why yeah. don't we jump yeah. out of our old box, you know, open up to this bigger one, this newer one? You know, right? I agree with you. And I I said you were going to have last thought, but I think that's what the BRI is. The Belt and Road is not China saying, I'm going to be the one that develops all of you. Mm. China's saying, let's all develop together. Together, And that is multipolarity. China's not interested in becoming the new hegemon. China's interested in guaranteeing multipolarity for all of us. China is... All right, baby. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, our listeners. Bye. 